Amen. I came across the, this kind of neat story. It's about a young couple, married couple. Uh, one thing you can tell about them is that they're very, 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 very poor. And one evening, this couple was sitting together after a menial, small meal together, and the husband looks at his wife. One thing about his wife, man, she has this beautiful long hair. It's just a distinguishing feature about her. And they're sitting there that evening together under candlelight, and she looks at him and she says, do you think we have enough money to buy me a new brush to just try to manage and take care of my hair? And the husband was brokenhearted. He said, uh, he goes, we don't. He says, as a matter of fact, he pulls his watch out of his pocket and it's just the watch piece and it's got a broken me. He goes, I don't even have enough money to fix the broken band on my watch. Conversation kind of goes silent. They go to bed. Wake up, new day. Husband gets up, leaves, uh, heads to work at the factory, walking across town. He's walking past a clock shop and he just gets this idea and he walks and he takes the watch piece and he sells it for the best price he can get. And then he walks a few more uh, stores down and there's a beauty shop and he buys the best brush he can buy for his wife. And he goes to work, and that day, of course, you can imagine all, all day during work, he was excited about sharing this with her. And so he gets home, and he walks through the door, and he's got this brush in hand, and he walks up to her and holds it out, and then he looks at her, and he goes, there's something different about her. For she had really, really short hair. For she had cut it that day and sold it to the wig shop. And in her hand is a brand new watch band. Now imagine many of us are finishing that story in our head, right? For you romantics, you're thinking, oh, I know what happened next. They just rushed into each other's arms, tears flew everywhere, big hugs, love, smooching. If that's you, you will like what we're going to talk about today. But there are some of you who are thinking, hold on a second. If he doesn't have, if he has a watch band, but he sold his watch, well, what good is that to him, Right? Shame on you. Some of you people need to really listen to this sermon if that's how you finish this story today. Well, welcome everybody. Glad you're out here today, brave in the cold again. We want to welcome those who are online. You know, on average, we have about 100 to 120 people with us online. Our church family is always really big. And so we want to welcome those online. My name is Brian. For our guests, uh, either online or here, I'm our lead pastor, and we're super glad you're here. For those online and here, there's this uh, sermon notes that are on the back of this worship guide you would have got. Here's an outline of what we're going to talk about here today, and it's a really important outline. Just feel free to, f to fill that out and use that through the week. Those of you online, this is posted there on Facebook Live or on our website. Uh, and really important to us is this Connect card, too. For our guests and our visitors, we would love that you would fill us out. You can drop it off in a box here, or you can go out to our Welcome Center. But it's, we really, really do want to connect and get to know you. So, yeah, we are in this series, like Lene was talking about, called Matters of the Heart. And we're in our third week. So let me recap where we've been, because this is really kind of important. Week one, we talked about heart of the matter. We talked about the heart. Through the heart, biblically, the heart is the center of all of our will, our feelings, our, our actions. Everything derives out of our heart. And we mentioned in that first sermon that God pays attention to our heart. He sees man by his heart. 
And so we talked about, to finish that sermon out, was it to let Jesus in. The scripture verse of letting him dwell in our hearts, to do surgery on our hearts, to strengthen our hearts. He's there and resident all the time. And so after getting done with that week about why is the heart so important, the second week we talked about guarding our heart. If it's that important, then for goodness sake, let's guard it, right? And we started with Proverbs 4, verse 23. This was Solomon sharing with his children. And he said, above all else, above all else, guard your hearts, for life flows from it. So he said, if we're going to protect it, if we're going to protect it, then how do we guard it? How do we guard a heart? And so we talked about ways that we guard a heart. We post what that means, and above all else, is it means post a watchman. So post a watchman on your heart to guard what you see, to guard what you say, to guard where we go, and to guard our thoughts. That's how we guard a heart. And we finished up that sermon. We said, it's the Holy Spirit that is the watchman of all those places. But the heart is designed still. Don't guard your hearts and build them up. Guard your hearts because they're designed to flow out. So we left you with this really hard point. Hearts are designed to be in relationship. And we left off there. And so we're on guard your heart part two today. How do I guard my heart in a relationship? How do I, I can guard my heart, maybe work on my eyes and my language and things like that. But when I connect it to another heart, this is where it gets tough, right? So we're going to jump into that today. How do I guard my heart in relationship? So I think the best thing to start with is to understand the importance of relationship. So this is our first sermon note together. Love God and others. We are created for relationship. Love God and others. Does that sound familiar? Those very words came out of the mouth of Jesus. We call it the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, love God with everything you got. Relationship. And he says, and love your neighbor. Which ones? All of them. Love God and others. We are, Jesus says, let me summarize the law, the prophets, everything about the Bible. If we bring it all down to one thing, it's this. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbors. And I think when we look at that central statement, what it means is it means that we are made, you can't argue this. If the greatest command is love God and love your neighbors, then we are made for relationship. So how can I explain that? How can I, so I thought, how can I explain the great commandment? Love God and love others. Is that really feasible? Is it really sensible? So I said, let's take a look at the cross. I think this is the best symbol of the great commandment. How can I love God when I'm not sure I have that much love and I can love everybody else? Well, let's use the cross. First, it goes up and down. Love doesn't start with you. Love starts with God. For God so loved the world, so we start at the top of the cross vertically, it comes down, lo God loved us first. And there's no better example of that than the person that was nailed to this cross. For God so loved the world, he sent his one only son. Love flows down to us first. And that God loves us so unconditionally, so graciously, so abundantly, that that love should not only fill us, but it should flow out of us. First, back up. There is a response to the love that flows out of God in all of us so first it starts with him then it comes down into us he gives us plenty that it flows back up to him but then we got the crossbar on the on the cross itself that is the love neighbor that is the horizontal 
God gives us so much love that flows down from him and flows out of us that there's plenty to love others. God's love through Jesus is designed to flow outward and we are designed for relationships outward. So here's a hard statement. This one might throw you a little bit. When I first pinned it down, I thought, I don't know if you're going to believe this. But here, God cannot be loved wholly apart from our neighbor. And our neighbor cannot be loved wholly apart from God. Start with the first part. God cannot be loved wholly apart from our neighbor. Is that true? I think 1 John chapter 4 tells us anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother, hates his neighbor, he is a liar. So, that is why the blood of Christ is so important that cross that both brings both of those things together. I can't love God wholly unless I love my neighbor and I cannot love my neighbor unless I love God. So we are designed and made to love others in relationship. There's really not an argument to that but we may not feel like it, right? Or we may struggle with this. But this sermon is about guarding our hearts. So how do we love in relationships upward and outward in a guarded, with a guarded heart. Is that even possible? The minute you say guarded heart, it sounds restricted, right? But it's not. It's actually pretty freeing. So let's, 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 let's set a foundation here. I want to give you five things that say these are essential to every relationship we have. Here's five foundational things that you have to have to love God with everything and to love my neighbor. This doesn't matter, when I, and I'm talking about all relationships, whether it is a friend, whether it's a lover, whether it's a buddy, whether it's a BFF, whether it's a wife, whether it's a husband, they all fit into these five essentials. So here we go, five essential reminders for all relationships. First, anchor ourselves in Jesus. Anchor ourselves in Jesus. Our most important first relationship is with Jesus Christ. Now you're going to think that's just a pat answer, but I'm going to explain why. My first most important relationship is with Jesus Christ, anchored in Him. My second most important thing is what I tell others about me. So if my most important relationship is with Jesus, and now I'm going to the outward, the most important thing I can tell people that I'm going to be in relationship is I am a Christ follower now, that seems really strange doesn't it as a matter of fact that may not be the first thing you want to come out of your mouth when you're meeting somebody for the first time hey I'm Brian I'm a Christ follower and they just walk the other way but these two things are essential let me show you why Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 6 ex explain this to us the scripture reads even before he made the world God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure and so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to Jesus his dear son. Look at how rich that is. 
what it's saying. Verse 4, God sees every one of us here as holy, set apart, and amazing, and without fault because of Jesus. That's how he sees you through Jesus. Verse 5, God makes us his family in relationship to him. He makes us sons and daughters of the Most High because of Jesus. It's right there. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now can have a full relationship back with God because he paid that penalty that separated us from God. Not only that, is God is pleased and he pours out his grace and love on us because of Jesus. And you put it all together and it says, we are holy, beautiful, a son, a daughter, beloved, and our lives give God pleasure. Verse six, all because of belonging to Jesus. And that means relationship, right? Anchor our identity in him. This is where all relationships start. Anchor our identity in him. This is foundational to everything. Why? Because the world itself on our way home today can blow up. It can burst into flames. It can consume every living soul on the planet and yet we will stand perfect in loving relationship with God through Jesus at that moment. We'll be loved eternally because of Jesus. We will live eternally because Jesus and there's nobody that can take that away for those who believe in Jesus anchor in that right I am enough because Jesus is enough if I can use one phrase that says what is it like to be anchored in Jesus I am enough because Jesus is enough So let me, let me put each one of these with a couple of situations that we have. If you are single, you're really not. Because as a believer in Jesus, you are in a growing, deep, loving relationship with him, anchoring him in your singleness. Because he's enough, you're enough. If you have been dumped by a boyfriend or girlfriend this week, you are not lost. You are not a failure in your relationship. You are still rooted and anchored in the relationship with Christ. Pick up, dust off, heal, move forward, love again. I'm enough because Jesus is enough. If you have lost someone you love that you are in deep relationship with, parent, brother, sister, spouse, Check this out. You are not without hope. You are anchored in the hope of the resurrection, eternal life, and reunion one day with your loved one because of Jesus. I'm enough because he's enough. So there we go, there's the first one. Second one, five essentials. Second essential reminder in all relationships. Love that becomes infatuation is idolization. Kind of debated whether we should put this one in here, but we started talking about it and thought, well, all of us have gone through probably one episode of infatuation in our life, right? I remember Johnny Spencer, and I'm hoping he's not watching us online right now, but I haven't seen him since grade school. Western Nebraska, Johnny Spencer was that really super cool kid. 
he looked really good in a Cub Scout uniform. If I can say that without being weird, he just like, all the girls liked him. He had this cool, long blonde hair, always had a great tan, and he was, a, he was quite an athlete. And so I made myself good friends with Johnny because I wanted to be liked by everybody else. So I thought, man, I just move in on Johnny's realm, and I'm automatically in the group, right? It was infatuation. Do you remember who you wanted to be like? And you connected to him just to have that kind of aura around you. If you don't, remember your first crush? How weird did you get on your first crush? Who have we built a relationship with, even in adults, that's built on infatuation? Let me, let me kind of give you a difference here. Let's talk about infatuation, which is a false type of love, and the real love that we have in Christ in relationship. Infatuation is like a drunkenness. And actually, infatuation shows some of the same chemical reactions as drug dependency does. It's driven by emotion and hormones and false ideals. Real love is driven by commitment. Infatuation is chemically fueled. Real love in relationship is Christ-fueled. Infatuation acts foolishly. We know this. And it moves usually way too fast. Real love is patient and keeps a level head. Infatuation is elevating someone to a place where our hope and our happiness is placed in them. And ladies and gentlemen, that is idolatry. Because to put them on a throne, you have to take somebody off the throne. Real love keeps Christ on the throne. Not just right there on the throne of our lives. And our image remains in him, not in somebody else. So if I'm single and I'm dating, this is the highest risk category for infatuation. I want to encourage you, if you're dating for the first time, don't do this. Don't get your truck of life and beep, 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 back it up and dump everything out on the first date. Don't tell them everything about you and don't unload your whole life and emotions and world right in front of them without ever knowing them. Be patient. Come to know somebody. Come to know their inner self. Build that relationship. And the reason why I want to say this is infatuation is so strong that it'll get you to give away some of the most precious gifts you have to somebody. And I'm not talking about material things. If it's in our friendship, infatuation, to our kids here, to our kids at school, think about who do I think I look better standing next to versus standing next to Christ and being solid in Him. Why am I trying to be somebody that God did not design me to be? I am unique. He threw out the mold. Johnny Spencer didn't have my cool freckles and long 70s hair. Next one, third point. Five essential reminders in all relationships. This one's big. Remember our humanity. In every relationship, remember our humanity. What I'm meaning there 
is that we are all born into a broken and fallen world, which means that we are all sinful. When we say remember our humanity, remember that we all screw up. We all make mistakes. We all step on toes. We all hurt and we all disappoint. It's part of our broken and fallen world. We're trying as Christians all the time to get better. But we do this. In our relationships, remember, I am going to hurt and I am going to get hurt. Romans 3.9 reminds us. There's a lot of scripture that reminds us of our sinful nature. But Romans 3.9 here, it says, Well then, should we conclude that we are better than others? This is kind of a church thing, right? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people are under the power of sin. Remember our humanity. Let's start with our marriages and our love relationships, like I'm engaged or... We have a class here every Wednesday night called Fierce Marriage. We got a lot of couples in there where we're talking about this thing, that we build our marriage and our dating relationship and our engagement on the gospel. If I build my relationship on the gospel, what does that mean? Well, the good news is that Jesus came and paid the price for my sin. He forgave me, and he restored me to him. If I build my marriage or my dating relationship on that, that means when we hurt each other, we are forgiven through Christ. We can forgive each other and we can restore whatever happens in our marriage. We can even restore the worst things that can hit our marriage. But let's talk about another arena. Not only do we Remember humanity in our marriage and love relationships. We got to remember this in our church relationships. If you came here to this body of Christ and you expected perfection, it does not take long before we disappoint you. Amen? I always like to say, church, you've heard this. It's not a clubhouse. It's more like a hospital. But we're all getting better every day. I looked through I don't know how many surveys a reason why I left the church but always in I looked at at least a dozen surveys of why I left the church in the top three in every one is because I was hurt in a relationship inside the body of Christ I didn't like something somebody said to me I didn't like this this five essential reminders about relationships this preacher said today somebody stomped on me somebody hurt me Here's my response to that. There are going to be today four to 500 people that call this community of Christ their home and this their family. Every one of us is in a different place in our discipleship, where we are with Christ in our maturity and in our faith. Some of us are brand new. Some of us have been around the block for a long time, and yet we will all sin at least once inside this church and amongst this church body. And we will hurt each other. Maybe it's not our intent. doesn't matter. We are a family. We model what heaven looks like. We are a community. And so I say that when I say this. The next time you're hurt, instead of running to another church family, is to stay where you are. Go and talk to your brother or sister. Seek forgiveness and restore each other. In the last 12 months going through masks and politics and all this sort of stuff, we have had plenty of opportunity in this arena. I have had 
plenty of opportunity in this arena. And let me tell you, when I'm hurt by my brother and sister, and I had to learn this lesson every day too, is the best thing I can do is go to them. And we can talk about it. We can see each other's need. Even if we disagree, we can forgive. And I will tell you, inside this church, the best relationships, the strongest relationships are ones that probably stepped on each other's toes at least once. Versus if you run, you will take that same problem to the next church family. Next one, five essential reminders. We are on number four. Guard our hearts with boundaries and follow the Spirit. Essential in all relationships, guard our hearts with boundaries and follow the Spirit. Christianity is commonly referred to as the religion of don'ts. It's a bunch of garbage. Christianity is a faith of do. It is a faith of incredible freedom. It is a faith that fights us out of our sinful nature which imprisons us and it restores us through Christ to a life of freedom. That's an amazing group of freedom, but yet God still, in His Word, defines boundaries, wide boundaries that we can't cross. Because if we cross those, if we cross those boundaries, we will hurt ourselves or others. God does not hate sin for sin itself. God hates sin because of what it does to the people he loves and between the people he loves. And that's why he defines boundaries. Once we get outside those boundaries, we lose that freedom. So God gives us a person to direct us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The spirit of God is not a dull, boring, can't-do God. It is a God of freedom to show us how to live life and live life to the full. I would encourage you, as a Christ follower, you're given that gift of the Holy Spirit. Follow your conscience. Follow that voice that is His. And He will guide us. Whenever we get up against a boundary, He will be there and say, Hey! We're at a boundary. Don't cross this. Let me tell you about two areas that we need to watch boundaries and trust the Spirit. The first is in our friendships. We will run into friendships in our lives where boundaries get pushed. We will have relationships with people, Christian or non-Christian, that become caustic and their behavior is far outside those boundaries. And that begins to impact us to where then we're tempted and we move in those boundaries and we cross them. Let me encourage you, when the Holy Spirit says you're at a boundary because a friend has brought you there, try to steer that friend back away from that boundary. And here's the hard news. If they refuse to come back across that line, they refuse to stay, uh, to move out of that life of sin that affects you and your relationship, then you're going to have to make a decision to separate yourself from that person. And the time to make that decision is when it draws you across those lines. Now, I'm not saying destroy the relationship for you still have the power of prayer and love and encouragement, but pull out of that when it's dragging you down. 
And let's talk about boundaries in our dating relationships and our marriages. This is where it's really critical and there's really one way I want to talk, one thing I want to talk about here. Guard our hearts in sexuality. We have a series somewhere planned in the future where we go into holy sexuality and this is one of those statements I can make that might make you think, well, yeah, Christianity is just a bunch of don'ts. When you ever talks about sexuality, Christianity is just about a bunch of don'ts. Let me tell you what the sexuality, just briefly hitting on this, sexuality is a gift from God. It's a spiritual and physical gift of God where we actually give away our heart, our soul, and spirit, and we join it to somebody else in that act. Sexuality is not designed to be a physical release. Sexuality is a bonding of soul and spirit. If I take that in my dating relationship, I am bonding in soul and spirit to that person and giving something and taking something from them. If I do that outside of marriage, I am bonding to that person in soul and spirit. If I cross lines, what happens? I think it's pretty easy to see that our world is full of scarred hearts, shamed souls, single parents, and aborted children because a great and beautiful spiritual gift of sexuality was used outside of boundaries. I want to say that one more time. Our world is full of scarred hearts that gave something to somebody that wasn't to be given. Shamed souls who are carrying a scar of consequence for a long time. Single parents and aborted children because the great and beautiful spiritual gift of sexuality was used outside of boundaries. When we get to that boundary and the spirit says stop, we need to listen and stop, especially in dating, relati- dating relationships. And what's going to be counter to that is a voice that's going to tell you it's okay, it's love. I want to share with those who are divorced and widowed this rule of singleness still applies to them too, which is hard because they've gone through the depth and intimacy of marriage and sexuality and because of a loss of a spouse they're starting over and it seems like you can just jump that gap and you can't you're still bonding soul and spirit so use that same same boundary the spirit of God guides us in freedom when we enter into sinful relationships, we are imprisoned, and you will understand quickly what it means to lose that freedom. It feels really heavy in here, doesn't it? First service, it was really hot. <laughs> One more. Fifth essential. Reminder in all relationships. Remember, let's get where we're we anchored in Christ, real love, not infatuation, realistic about our human nature, and boundaries and spirit. Leads us to this last note. This is essential for all relationships. Every relationship strengthens or weakens our relationship to God. Every relationship we have with humanity either strengthens or weakens our relationship with God. I'm even going bolder here. Feel free to push back on this. Write me a note. I would say every interaction in a relationship can strengthen, 
or weaken our relationship with God. I believe every interaction can count towards eternity. I believe every interaction can count towards salvation. I believe every interaction either builds us up towards God in heaven or it tears us down and moves us away from God. Kids at school, when other kids know that you're a Christian and you use language that's not Christian, they will not be drawn to God. If they see you looking over on somebody else's paper on an exam, they're going to see a character in them that does not draw them to our faith and to a God that expects high things out of us that are good. Adults, if I know my brother or sister struggles with alcohol, and I invite them over to my house and I break out a six pack every interaction draws us closer to God or pushes us further away husband and wives I love this one how we fight and this could be for dating relationships too how we fight and how we deal with conflict will either draw us closer to God or make us further from him. We talk about this in the marriage classes a lot. A marriage in holy matrimony is a covenant of three. It's not a covenant of two. It's us together in God. Three. The closer we draw to God, the closer we come together. If we don't fight well, and we don't deal with conflict well, which is normal in the world, we separate which pulls us from God. So there's five points for all relationships to, for us to be healthy. I know that's deep stuff, but here, let's test everybody. I, I want to basically a truth or lie quiz. You ready? You get to join in. Those who are online, I want you, those on Facebook Live, to type truth or lie. I'm going to give you a statement, and you tell me, is it truth? Now I'm going to give you a statement, give you rationale, and I'm going to repeat the statement. Then you shout truth or lie. Online, shout with your fingers, all right? So you ready to play? This kind of summarizes everything. Let's play truth or lie. First, truth or lie. Our marriages should make us more like Jesus. What that means is that our marriages should make us look more like Christ. We should grow together to be more like Christ. Our marriages should be, sorry, our marriages should make us more like Jesus. Truth or lie? Truth. truth. Good. That was an easy one. Here's the lie. Our marriages should look like they do on Hallmark and Netflix. <laughs> and, and we laugh at this. We talk about in the marriage class. It's like, you know, Hallmark and Netflix are show you what happiness in marriage is. Marriages that look like Jesus show you what holiness is. You find holiness, you'll find happiness. When you base your marriage on Hallmark and Netflix, and we do, because we watch it, right? And it's like, I want a beach loving relationship condo like that. And when I don't get it, I'm out right? Because I think my marriage is about happiness. It's not. It's about holiness. All right, good. Good job. All right, third, third question. Uh, sorry, second question, right? We're only number two. Uh, I can change my partner and friend. Now, let me explain the context of this. I can, when I'm dating somebody who doesn't love Jesus, I can change them eventually. I will get them to love Jesus. Or I can change my partner, my friend's addictive behavior, right? So, 
Here's the, here's the truth or lie. I can change my partner friend. Lie. Who can? God. So let's look at that answer. Here's the truth. God changes people through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes, many times, actually through us. But it's God who changes. We're just willing vessels. So be patient. Let me explain this. If you are dating somebody who is not a Christ follower, I'm going to encourage you to either get out of that relationship or be patient and never marry them unless they are a Christ follower too. The reason why is you cannot for eternity be unyoked. The Bible reminds us what happens when I'm going to church every Sunday and my spouse doesn't and then my kids stay home with them and it just, it doesn't work. Now, I know a lot of us have been in dating relationships. I will tell you that I was a non-believer in a missional dating. I mean, I don't know if Kara was trying to save me. She was a believer. I wasn't. Guys, this normally doesn't work out. <laughs> you don't normally become a pastor. Am I thankful? Yes. But most of the time, in fairness, missional dating does not work. But be patient. If you love them, be patient. Point them to Christ but there may be times I have to leave that relationship because they refuse. Okay, next one. Secret screen time only affects me. Let me explain this. I don't, I mean, I don't need to explain it, right? <laughs> Just by your reaction, we don't have to explain that one. Okay. Secret screen time only affects me. Truth or lie? Lie. Lie. Yeah, what's the truth? Porn can cost you your soul, your marriage, your family, your neighbor, your church, and your Savior. And looking at the percentages of use, guys, I even have a wide definition of what porn is. It's hard to go out. I think uh, Lene was telling me the other day to turn on cable at 7 o'clock sometimes with little kids is hard because of what it's showing. This one's hard because many of us have been there or are there now. Screen time doesn't only affect you. Let's go to the next one. Sexuality is a soul-binding gift. We kind of talked about this one, so I'm not going to explain it. Truth or lie? Truth. Truth. Sexuality is a great gift of God. It's a beautiful gift of God, and it's soul-binding. Here's the lie. Try before you buy. And it is kind of funny, and it is painfully not funny. So many try before they buy. So many feel if my sexual relationship is okay, my marriage will be okay. And they get a part of a soul that is not theirs. In most relationships, they will leave that relationship and take that soul on that. And all that leaves behind is scarring. Try before you buy. Okay. Next one. Singleness is a temporary and or a lifelong gift. So what that means is singleness for me is a gift for a season. Like I'm waiting to be married or I've gone through a loss of a spouse or God has given me singleness as a lifelong gift. Like that's truth or lie? Truth. The Bible speaks clearly this. So the lie is this. If I'm single, something must be wrong with me. Now, part of that is a person struggling with their singleness and trying to figure out God's calling. The other problem, church, is us. When they walk in, they're 40 years old, and you're saying, why aren't you married yet? Yeah. 
Some people have the single say, gift, but if we make them feel like that, like God is going to work through them for life, and he's got them in relationship through Christ. It's okay. Be careful putting pressure on that. But if you know they're looking for somebody, hook them up on eHarmony or whatever, right? Get them going. <laughs> we can do that. That's okay. All right. Last one. The love I give out will always be returned. Love shot out always comes back in some way. Truth or lie? Lie. And this is why. Here's, here's the truth. Christ's unconditional love out of us is an overflow of the love God gives us. Even if not returned, we still have more than enough. I'm enough because Christ is enough. Okay. How many of us felt like a spotlight just shone down on them for a brief period of time? We had a lot of feedback after the first service. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I got a lot of this wrong myself. I've learned a lot. I love being a pastor to try and teach people not to do some of the things that I've done. To not have the hurt and pain and suffering that doesn't need to happen. And you have too. If you've done things wrong, don't live in shame. Strengthen your life in Christ and help others. We've got a whole world out there making these mistakes every day in relationship. So we shared five major ways we can guard our hearts and relationships. Caution here again, guarding is not stopping. Guarding is not building up walls. It's not what we're trying to communicate. These essentials provide room. These boundaries provide freedom for something else. These guarding your heart moves us to where we can love God with all we've got and love all of our neighbors. But there's something else. By establishing these boundaries and this guarding allows for something else to happen in our heart and that's our next sermon note together. Hearts need guarding and you're not going to like this word. Vulnerability in relationships. Hearts can be guarded. This seems kind of a uh, paradox or contradictory, but hearts can be guarded and vulnerable. We have just established how they can be guarded. And the wideness, vulnerability works in the space that's created within those boundaries. Guarding sets boundaries. Vulnerable works within those boundaries. Vulnerability is not just about being open. It is about letting people see us for who we really are. Vulnerability is allowing people to see whose we are. And I'm not afraid to say I'm a follower of Christ because it's life-changing. Vulnerability is exposing ourselves emotionally. And a lot of us struggle with that because of this. Vulnerability has risk. It can right? Vulnerability has risk. It can expose our heart to hurt, shame, fear, and we can really question our worthiness. But let me tell you what vulnerability can do. It can also be the birthplace of joy, love, and belonging. In vulnerability, we find our best life lessons. We get into our most intimate connections, which create our strongest relationships. We are designed for relationship Ladies and gentlemen, we are designed for vulnerability. 
Most people believe our sense of self comes from ourself, and that's a lie. Our sense of self comes from our relationships. Like, what? Our sense of self comes from first my relationship with Christ, and then my relationship with others. For you to be you, you need God and others. For me to be me, I need God through Christ, and I need you. And for us to be the church, we need God and we need each other because together we build the body. And we can't do that unless we're vulnerable. The best example of vulnerability in the world is Jesus Christ who hung on that cross and made himself vulnerable. He came to earth to make himself vulnerable. He came to earth and was strong because he was grounded in God and he was vulnerable when he took our sin upon a cross and died for it. Did he get hurt? Yep. Like none other. And what happened? He was raised to the highest place in heaven and he is the savior of our souls and all of us have eternity in front of us because of him, because he was vulnerable. So here's our summary statement. Only through vulnerability and guarding can we become wholehearted. Only through vulnerability and guarded hearts can we become wholehearted, which means then we can love God with all we got and we can love our neighbors, all of them. To wrap up, I want to share with you something the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, shared with the Corinthian church who was going through a lot of these struggles we just shared. Paul exposed his heart to them as he wrote the letter, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Paul loved them when he wrote this. And he shared hard things with them in this letter, just like we shared hard things today. Some responded, some didn't. So in love, Paul encouraged them in the way that I want to wrap up today and encourage you. Look at the scripture with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Hit the blank one. There we go. Thank you. This is what Paul wrote. He said, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we opened wide our hearts to you. Look at the vulnerability. We are not withholding our affection from you, but some of you are withholding yours from us. So as a fair exchange, I speak to you, Paul says, as I speak to my very own children who I love very much, open wide your hearts also. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word even when it's difficult. Father, our offering time is a time where we come to you and say, we're seeing you do a lot through this heart series. Our creative team wrestles through this because it's just so challenging. But we know this is exactly what the church needs to hear. And every week, Father, we're hearing stories left and right of hearts breaking open. And so we're going. We're continuing to go to share your word, your hope, and your love for us. Father, thank you for the vertical that your love came down first. Father, I pray everybody in here responds to you as an offering in love not only up, but out. That we really can discover how to guard our hearts within the boundaries you've put forth 
and the freedom and vulnerability to love like Jesus loved us. Father, that is a huge offering from this church today. There's a world out there that doesn't know how to love like this. There's people in here that don't know how to love like this. And they're not living in freedom. Father, give us bold choices today to change our behaviors and build our relationships. And it starts with you. It starts with you, Jesus, first. Let us build on you. You are our anchor. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't have Jesus as an anchor, let them cry out today that we can start walking with them. Father, when we give an offering, we give you our lives. You've given us everything, including your son. We give you everything we have. Our finances to just boost the mission of church, our time, our service. Father, when a church hurts us, we're not going to run away. We're going to heal and grow together. And we're going to bring more people here who are broken and hurting. And Father, we're going to watch the beauty of relationships grow here. It's a steep order, but it's not without you. Heavenly Father, we lift up this church to you. Let us go out in the world and let us love like that. We pray all this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. We're going to spend some time in worship this morning, and that might look different for all of us. Um, That might mean you close your eyes and soak this next song up. Maybe you sit in your seat, sing with us. Maybe you can't possibly sit still and you're up on your feet worshiping with us. That's all good. This is a great way to end and reflect on what God is asking of us in our hearts.
above it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. You wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin with your selfishness. But in that casket, Perturbations of love is hell. 